Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. So the title of my message today is Cold Feet and Currency. Cold Feet and Currency. Now, I've been doing a pastoral ministry for a lot of years now, and one of the things I get to do as a part of my job is I get to, uh, I get to do a lot of weddings. I get to marry a lot of couples, and I've had a chance to do so many weddings over the years, and because I get a chance to do a lot of weddings, it means I get a chance to be in a lot of wedding photos. And maybe some of you have not thought about this before, but when you ask somebody to officiate their, your wedding, what you are really saying to them is, please be in photos in our memories forever. Like you didn't think about this. You didn't think about the fact that there's gonna be a, several photos where the two of you are looking longingly into each other's eyes and I'm just gonna be in the middle like, looking back and forth excitedly and people for the rest of your lives, your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your family, your enemies are going to be like, who is that guy? And I have some weddings that are coming up and some of you are like, not anymore. I didn't think that part through. And so I don't know if I want that. But this is a wedding that I did recently. Uh, I, I, I married, this is the Ray wedding, Parker and Kelsey. I got a chance to marry them uh, not too long ago. And it was a beautiful wedding, like incredible venue. Everyone was dressed to the hilt. Like I was so excited. I was in this gorgeous vineyard and uh, it was absolutely amazing. And one thing I will tell you, if you haven't been to a lot of weddings is there is one golden rule uh, at a wedding and that is you, you keep a low profile, okay? Especially during the ceremony. Like you do not take attention away from the bride, okay? How many of you are aware that this rule exists out there, okay? And, and a few of you uh, who your family hates. So like, that's fine. You're not supposed to take attention away from the person whose day it actually is. And people are like, well, it's really both their day. And that, that's coming from people who have not been married. And so I get that, that perspective. But the, the day is about her. And, and yet when somebody breaks that rule, those are the most fun moments at every single wedding I've ever been to, right? Now, I don't wanna say like I'm rooting for it. I'm definitely not like praying for it or anything, okay? But when it happens, there is a part of me that's just like, oh, yes. And every couple, like when we're getting ready to go through their wedding and like what they want their wedding to be like, they're like, I just want everything to go smoothly and I just want it to go perfect. And I just don't want there to be any crazy hiccups. And I'm like, oh, that is the opposite of what I'm hoping for. I'm not going to like intentionally sabotage anything, but if something happens, I will secretly enjoy it by being like, oh no, on the outside, but on the inside, I'm like, I love it. It's amazing. And you do too, right? You're just as twisted as I am. One thing that happened at this wedding, I brought my wife to this wedding and she was very excited. We've known this couple for a long time. We know a lot of the people that were going to be there. But of course, as with every wedding, there's a lot of people that you don't know. And my wife found like, you know, uh, one or two people that she did know. And she sat with them and they sat in the section. It was like towards, you know, the, towards the end of the first like cycle of COVID where they were just starting to release, you know, like mask regulations. And so most of the people did not have masks on. A few people did. Um, and my wife at this really key moment, you know, that moment where everyone gets quiet 
It was like a hush that falls over the crowd and you know that people are gonna start walking down the aisle and it's like really serious and they're like, they're like, you know, the DJ's about to push play on the song with the violins and all that in it. Right about that moment, my wife who was sitting with her friends just was just like, oh, it's about ready to start. So she was gonna take a little sip of water. So she took a little sip of water and it went down the wrong pipe. And so instantly my wife's like, (laughs) starts just a coughing attack. And this is like, this is the same thing. This was even more so then than it is now. I mean, you cannot cough anymore because the same thing's gonna happen. Everyone's just like, COVID, they have COVID. We're all gonna die today. You know what I mean? Everyone's freaking out. And she's trying to like point to the water bottle and whatever. The people that she's with are kind of leaning away from her. I'm telling you, the only people at this wedding who were double-masked were sitting right behind my wife. These people were freaking out, okay? You could just tell they were just like, we should not have come. Why do we come here? I don't even like this couple. You know what I mean? Like, it was, it was insane. And of course, there, I, I'm up front. Like, I'm just like, I don't know what to do. And so I just did the only thing I could do. I pretended like I did not know her. You know what I mean? I was just like, somebody needs to help this woman. I don't know who she is or how she got here. Uh, she's definitely gonna need to find a ride home because uh, I can't be seen with her. It was just, it was this weird, it was this weird moment until somebody could finally get her some water and she could, she could calm down. And she did, actually, we found out later she did have COVID. She gave it to everyone at that wedding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. But it was a panicked moment. And yet it's memorable. Like it's one of the things that I most remember. And part of it is because it was sort of tied to probably the most memorable point in every wedding for me, which is this sort of moment that I love people watching at weddings, but there's no better people watching than the moment right before the bride walks down the aisle, watching what everyone does. Everyone gets quiet. There's like this excitement. There's like a nervous energy sort of in the venue. And everyone's kind of like looking back. And, and, and do you do the thing I do where you like look back at the door and then you look up at the groom and then you look back at the door and then you look at the mom and then you, you're like, you're, you're like eyeballing. You're like trying to see all the, the drama that's unfolding. And I, we actually have a picture of Parker from this moment when the, like, this is right before these like back doors open and he's staring. And I don't know how you would describe this look on his face right now. It's like excited, nervous, scared, right? Elated. Like it's all of the things at once. It is a complex feeling because it is a big moment, right? This moment is the moment in which once the doors open, First of all, you're going to find out if she's there. There's a little bit of nervousness about that, right? Because we've seen too many movies, right? We've seen too many movies where the door opens and everyone's like, <gasps> and like no one's, and she's not there and she ran away or like he gets scared and then he like goes and jumps in the river behind or whatever. Or like it's the moment where like, you know, the, the best man steps up because he's loved her since like kindergarten and he chooses this inappropriate moment to say that, you know, and he's just like, I've loved you. Get out of the way. It's the two, and they run off together, which would have been real weird in this wedding because it was like his brother. So it's like, I don't know about that, but we all just sort of waited. And there's this moment of like excitement and relief and like the tears entering his eyes. He sees his bride and he is contemplating the heaviness and the significance of the moment. And you want to see that look because it's a big deal. And I think there's part of us that is, is interested and impressed in this because we get the gravity of the moment. 
we get that a, the biggest commitment of these people's lives is about to be made in front of a live studio audience. And there's pressure on that moment. There's been a lot of thought that goes into this thing. And one thing that is true about all of us is that commitment makes us nervous. And the reason it makes us nervous is because saying yes to this one thing or this one person, right, means saying no to lots of other things and lots of other people. And we are a people that like to keep our options open. And when someone is defying this, when someone is choosing, despite the nervousness, to go forward and actually close off all the other options and just go with this one, we're like, that is impressive. That, wow. Because we know it's a big deal. Saying yes to one thing means saying yes, no to a lot of other things. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of other things. You ever heard of the internet? It's full of other things, okay? All of the other things, right? And we are more aware than ever of all the things that we're saying no to to say yes to whatever it is we're saying yes to. And we think like, man, I don't know if I want to commit to this person, to this season, to this way of doing life or spending money or place to live because I'm saying no to so much else. And like, what if I say yes to this and then... Like something else comes along. To which the question is, like what? And it's like, I don't know, that's why I'm nervous. I can't even imagine what it would be. But I would hate to lock into this and then find out that there was another, better, more exciting, more interesting opportunity. And this is what makes us nervous. This is what makes us sort of commitment phobic. But there's a problem that this creates within us because we are also created for commitment. In fact, uh, countless scripture references and scientific research would tell us that fulfillment isn't possible without commitment. That in order to experience fulfillment in life, we have to actually commit to things. And the reason we don't want to is because commitment is costly. So we hesitate. And there's a term for this. And we use this term for all of these hesitant moments right before a commitment, but especially when it comes to wedding. You've heard it before, cold feet. Cold feet. And cold feet is the panic that sets in when you realize how much a commitment is gonna cost you. Because all commitment costs. It's not that you don't like that person or you don't like that job or you don't like this thing or you don't think this is a great idea to spend your money on. It's like, you know that there is a cost and, and a lot of times the cost becomes real to us in a singular moment where we're like, oh, there's implications to this. I, I don't know if I can go through with it. A lot of times we don't experience cold feet until we're standing right on the edge of the commitment itself. The cold feet is this tension between the fulfillment we want to feel and the investment we really don't want to make or the options we don't want to lose. And so we kind of get stuck in a holding pattern. And this is part of the reason why, you know, uh, in the marriage ceremony, this moment where they walk down and there's the whole, there's like the handoff, you know, of the father and, the, and he gives the, the, the bride to her 
groom and they like hold hands and they always do that. And maybe you've wondered like, because I get to stand up there and see what they like. And you're like, what are they saying? And it's always different and weird, okay? I don't want to sell out any of these couples. And then you know, like now, here we go. There's no turning back. And part of the reason why I think we're so wowed and interested in this is because it's incredible to see that these two people are pushing past their fears to intentionally eliminate other options in favor of this one. And that's ultimately what commitment is. Commitment in any area of life is pushing past your fears, which you're gonna have a lot of, and intentionally eliminating other options in favor of this one. You're making a choice. You're narrowing the field. And the bigger the yes, the more no's it requires. And getting married is a big, big yes. This is true, though, and no matter what we're talking about, when you say yes to a career, when you say yes to volunteering a certain number of hours, like you're saying no to doing a bunch of other things with those hours, right? When you say yes to certain health goals, right, and you go public with those things and everybody knows, you're saying no to a lot of cake that's going to happen at so many birthday parties you didn't even know were coming up. When you say yes to, to giving a certain amount of money to further God's kingdom, suddenly like you're saying no to other things that you could be spending that money on and we're amazed when someone follows through with it because it just, it feels like such a big commitment and we admire it. We just don't know if we want to do it. I wonder if you're like me where when you get nervous about making certain commitments in your life, you, you kind of just wish you could get credit for your intentions without actually having to follow through with any of the actions. Anybody, you just kind of wish that? Like, like just your heart, you know what I mean? Like they knew that you wanted to and that you had a heart for it and then you just like loved it. And, and yet it doesn't work like that. Like people were just like, show me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I believe you. And this is the way all of life works. Listen, listen, baby, you know I love you, okay? I just don't want to make a commitment to you. How's that going to pan out? You know, listen, I really want this job. I love that paycheck. I just, I didn't know I was going to have to like come here every day, like do work. That's the part I don't like. My heart, I want to, my heart's in it. I'm just not, probably not going to do it, you know? And I just wish that you could know that like I care, you know, not enough to do anything about it, but I care, right? And that is the way that life works, right? We judge things by their actions, not the intentions that maybe are driving those actions or the intentions that we want to like lean on instead of actions. And this is the, the truth about like love and life and faith. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, he says it this way. And we quoted this verse last week as we were just getting this series off the ground. It's kind of our theme verse. James chapter two, verse 17, he says, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. In other words, like, I'm glad you have so many great intentions, but unless you couple those with actions, your faith has not yet been activated. And this could apply to all sorts of things, at least four things. The four that we listed for this series, okay? 
And just because of today is today, like let's just take giving, for example. Here's what I really believe. Almost everyone wants to be generous, but so few people give generously. And in fact, I can attach a number to this, like just because like, I, I get to see the numbers. I wouldn't be a responsible uh, leader if I didn't see the numbers for our campus. Like on our campus, of all the people that attend, between 25 and 30% of the people do all of the giving. And I would say that, like, what's going on with the other 70%? I think if we interviewed all of these folks, we wouldn't be like, I just don't care about being generous. I am a greedy, horrible person. And I don't care, right? No one would say that. Everyone would be like, I want to be generous. It's who I want to be. I want to be a giver. I just don't want to have to, like, you know, give. <laughs> like, I like the idea of it, but I struggle. You know, I struggle to put action behind it, right? That's where things get difficult. And, you know, we have lots of reasons for this. I don't know if you're like me, but when you bump up against a commitment that you're not, you don't feel like ready to make, when other people do it, they have lame excuses. When you do it, you got, you got real reasons, okay? And what are the reasons that we use, right? It's just like, I'm going to do it someday, okay? I just, right now, I'm broke, Okay, we just don't, we don't, and like once I put a little bit aside, once we pay some things off, then I'm going to give, I'm going to participate in the gift. I just can't right now because I don't really have anything. You know, I want to, I also, I want to give to God, but I do not trust the church. Okay, I grew up and I saw some things and people misspent money and some pastors have planes and like, who? Because I don't, uh, I would like to know, Right. And I would just tell you, if, if this is one of the things that you're wrestling with, um, if I were you, I wouldn't go to a church that I wouldn't entrust my money to. Why would you let someone guide you spiritually that you wouldn't trust with your money? That to me doesn't make any sense. You know, I, get, I, I give randomly other places, so I don't feel like I should need to give to like the church. Like I, you know, like sometimes like when my brother-in-law is going through stuff, I'm like, oh, I'll get you some tube socks. And I feel like that is something, you know? I did that, you know? It's like sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm gonna pay for the person behind me at Starbucks. You know, it's like I do stuff. And I, I don't know why I would need to do, so, I mean, I give in other ways also. I don't know why you're always making about money, okay? <laughs> I served at the VBS 10 years ago and I feel like, that's how I give. That's how I give, okay? I do things, and I don't, but I don't like, I give in other ways, okay? And also, I need to save right now. I mean, once we hit a certain threshold, once we set so much aside, I need to invest, then I'm gonna give, like, I'm gonna, I hope to have this much later, and then I'm gonna give from that, and that's gonna be amazing. And I think that's great. But I, I think the problem for all of us ends up in this category. We like the idea of living generously. We just don't want to have to marry our actions to the discomfort of what it would mean to actually follow through. It sounds like a big step. And every time we get close, we get cold feet and we end up not committing. And by the time we, we um, you know, uh, by the time we get to, to Jesus, like this has always been an, an issue throughout human history, right? God wanting people to invest in things that he's doing and people always being hesitant about it. By the time we get to Jesus, he indicates again and again and again that, that really fighting this fear is well worth it. And I wanna just like uh, highlight one specific story in which this happens. It's found in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 21, verse one. 
And it says this, it says, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Essentially, Jesus, you know, he's people watching, okay? By the giving box. Can you imagine how intimidating that would be? Just like, where do we give? It's right over there. Who's that guy? It's just Jesus, no big deal. Just, yeah, whatever. Whatever you're gonna put in, just do whatever you're gonna do. Jesus is watching. And I just, I, I mean, that to me, it just adds a layer of intimidation. And yet, it's not that he's like there spying on people. It's just that he is just sort of hanging out at the temple. This is what people did. It wasn't just like a Jesus thing. But a lot of people would like to, it was like a gathering place. So people would go and they would spend time in and around the temple. And they would hang out and they would listen to teachings and they would debate scripture and they would meet up with one another. And it was just a place that people gathered. And so Jesus is kind of there and he's like reclining at the temple. And I know maybe it's, it's hard to sort of visualize this. So I brought a blueprint in case somebody wants to build it later. I don't know what you're doing this afternoon. But there's this, this area, this giant courtyard um, that's about 200 square foot. And around the exterior of it, this is a place where almost anybody could go into where these 13 chests for contributions and they would hang sort of on the columns around the outside. Nine of them were for uh, temple tax, which is what we would call tithe, right? Like the 10% that you give back to God based on what he has blessed you with. And then there were another, the rest of them were for what we would call offerings. Or here, we label it beyond our wall. So it's like the above and beyond. It's, it's money that's collected together and specifically invested, especially in this culture, in meeting the practical needs of usually the poor and the widowed and the orphaned. It's, that's what it was for. And, and these, these boxes, they were like, they were sort of shaped like gourds, sort of narrow at the top and really long and kind of fattened out at the bottom. And you, so you would, you would, when you put stuff in there, you could hear it fall and then hit, right? And it would sort of echo through this thing. And this is a time where there's, there's no paper money, right? You can't Apple pay it, right? It is all coins. And so you can hear what people are giving. So not only can Jesus and everybody else see what people are giving, he can hear what they're giving. Everyone can. Everyone can hear the echo. And in fact, for religious people at this time in history, they played it up because they wanted people to know they were big stuff. Like not only were they making money, but they were given a lot of money, right? Because they wanted the clout in their community. And so they would come in, they would cash it down to as many coins as they could get. And they would go and they would wait till there was like a hush, that weird lull in a conversation where people were like, yeah, anyway, oh, hmm, hmm. And then they would drop in all their coins at once and it would just echo across the room and people would be like, whoa, somebody's doing all right. And not only that, these people would actually have people announce that they were coming. People would, they would actually pull someone aside who worked at the temple and that person would be like, okay, attention everyone. Uh, guys, in just a minute, Todd is gonna roll through and uh, man, Todd is doing great. <laughs> and he has got some serious coin on him today. All right, what you're about to hear. And, uh, and I just want to tell you that God has a special place in his heart for Todd. And you're about to hear why. Give it up for Todd. And then, you know, he would dance in, I would guess. And, you know, put all of his, you know, money into the giving board. And everyone would be like, wow, that guy is spiritual. 
And in the midst of all this, Jesus sort of watching this spectacle happen. It says this in verse two. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. Timidly. No spectacle. No announcement. Not a big deal. Two small coins. Uh, they were lepta, which is the smallest Jewish coin in circulation. It's one sixty-fourth of a Roman denarius, which is about what someone would make for a day's wage. Um, and there were a lot of day laborers at this time in history. So, like, it, some of you are doing the math. You're like, that basically is just like a, a few cents. I mean, the actual monetary value that she gave was near nothing. And yet, Jesus is watching this thing happen. And he is moved by it. And he grabs a hold of his disciples and he pulls them aside and he, and he makes an observation about it. This is what he says, uh, Luke chapter 21, verse three. He says, I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all of the rest of them for they, they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Now, it's crazy because what Jesus is saying isn't literally true. It's figuratively true. It's spiritually true. And she didn't technically give more, but proportionally, emotionally, spiritually, she, she had. And I got to tell you that, that uh, just to get it out of the way, like Jesus is not mocking rich people. That's not what's happening here. In fact, the scriptures say in more than one place that, that to whom much is given, much is required. And so it's saying like, if you're rich, if God has blessed you with the ability to make a lot of money, then give a lot of money. If you're rich, give richly. In fact, I wanna tell you that being wealthy is not a sin. Being greedy is. And here's what I've observed uh, with, uh, over a long period of time working with a lot of people. I have known wealthy people who are greedy and I've known a lot of poor people who were greedy. I've known wealthy people who were extravagantly generous. And I have known poor people who were extravagantly generous. Anybody can be greedy. And anybody can be generous. It's not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. And what Jesus is trying to draw to the surface, what he's trying to tell them to do is to give generously in proportion to what you've been given. And so if you don't have a lot, then there is a cap on how much you can give. What he's also saying is like, listen, if you come in and you are giving a lot, but honestly, like there are poor people who are giving more than you. What do you want, a cookie? You're not doing that great. You've missed the point. It's not about equal contribution, but it is about equal Sacrifice. It's about you choosing to give based on what you've gotten. And this woman, she gives everything she has, everything she has to live on. I can't even comprehend this. Giving everything you have to live on, what would drive somebody to do that? There's so much more I want to know about her that I, we don't know about her. We don't know her name. We, we don't know how old she was. Maybe you're like me and you hear the word widow and you, like, you picture like a little old lady. But in this culture, women were getting married around 12, 13 years of age. People were not living as long. It's possible that she was widowed at a very young age, at, at maybe in the prime of her life. We have no idea. We don't know how her husband died. We, we don't know, like, did he go to war? 
Was there some weird confrontation in their occupied society? Did he get sick? Did he get a fever? Like, was there some tragic accident? How long ago was it? Did it happen a long time ago? Did it just happen? Like, is she literally so heartbroken because she just came from mourning the loss of her husband to the temple? We don't know how she's coping with the loss how deeply it impacted her. Like, was, was she still in love with him when he died? Is she in the phase where she still can't sleep through the night, where she has weird nightmares, where she thinks that he's there and then he's not, where she lines up like pillows next to her body so it feels like he's still there? Does she still have his clothes? Do they still smell like him? Do they have any kids? Did the kids even know their father? If they did, like, how heartbroken are they that they will never, do they even understand that they're never gonna see him again? We do know that she's probably destitute, that she has so little, and even beyond that, her prospects of of finding or receiving or making more is slim to none. And I'm sure that because she's a different person who lived a long time ago, there's probably a lot in her life that you cannot identify with, but there's something that you you can identify with. You know what it's like to lose something. Someone that you loved, that you cared about, that you, you couldn't imagine your life without. Maybe you lost the source of your security. Maybe you lost your job, your income. Maybe you lost your health. Maybe you lost your dream. Maybe you lost access to what you thought life was gonna be like. And what we know about this woman is it's in the aftermath of her biggest loss that she chooses to make her biggest sacrifice. And where does she make it? She goes to the temple. This is at this time in history. The closest thing we have to it is our local church. And she goes up to one of the chests in the colonnade marked for offerings. And she takes everything that she has left and she puts it in She does it quietly under the radar. No one's really paying attention except for Jesus. And it's crazy because that particular offering is to be collected and dispersed to help the poor and the widowed and the orphan. And if you're like me, there's probably part of you that's like, what are you doing? She shouldn't be giving to that fund. She should be getting from that fund. But nobody tells her to do this. Nobody shames her into doing this. She does this because she, on some level, believes that the kind of desperation she felt deep in her bones in this moment because of the life that she'd lived, that it wasn't gonna be quelled by more getting, that it was was somehow counterintuitively was gonna be solved by, by giving. And she believed that that was especially gonna be true because it costs so much. In this moment, she's demonstrating commitment that is so extreme, some of us, we we would never really comprehend. She gave because she believed in this God and she believed in this community, this 
church, like her church, her place of worship. She believed in, 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 in being a part of sewing into something that's made such an impact in her life. It's likely that the only reason why she had survived this season that she had gone through was because of her connection to the temple and she wanted to pay it forward. It was just the kind of person that she wanted to be. So she sacrifices. And to sacrifice is essentially to, to give up something you love for something you love even more. It's one of our values as a church that we wanna be people who willingly sacrifice, who willingly give up things we love for things we love even more. And I'm sure she would have loved to have done something else with that money. I'm sure she would have loved to have ate a specific meal that evening. I'm sure she would have loved to have done all sorts of things. I'm sure at living at this time in history, she had all sorts of suspicions about what the temple was really gonna do with this money. I mean, just two chapters earlier, Jesus is flipping over tables, telling the temple they're corrupt. And then he commends her because she gives, because it's really not about what they do with the thing. It's about what God is gonna do in her. And she makes a commitment. She gives her heart away. It's in this moment that, that Jesus points to her and he says that, if you want to know what real commitment looks like, that's real commitment. What she's doing and demonstrating reflects the heart of God. That's what it looks like to follow me. That, that level of commitment and investment leads to true fulfillment. She may be the poorest person in here, but she will leave feeling rich with her heart full. The thing about Jesus is he, he never preached anything he wasn't gonna practice. And in this moment, she gives her livelihood and then he ends up laying down his life. And I wonder what happened to her after that. I wonder like, did she like start following him everywhere he went? Like did the disciples like take care of her? Did she become one of his core followers? Did she just, was it just a moment and then she got up and left and that was it and nobody heard anything else about her? Maybe she left and as she was like walking out, she bumped into somebody, like a handsome prince. And he was like, what? And then they got this Disney talking, but like they got together and we don't know. But we do know that she walked away from this moment of extreme sacrifice with the sort of smile on her face that a lot of couples have in that moment where they're like, we are gonna make this commitment, no turning back. I think she left the temple that day with the satisfaction of having married herself to God's mission, to not just like the idea of being a part of this thing or being a certain type of person, but having actually demonstrated her faith by conquering her cold feet. I think in her heart, it was like every time she, she gave her money, it was like she was giving herself. And she had narrowed her options. When you give money away, there's all sorts of things you cannot now do with that money because you don't have it anymore. But she narrowed her options in a way she was proud of. And this is the question that you and I have to wrestle with. How will we walk away today? 
You know, this story becomes a staple in the early church because it pushed people to wrestle with their reasons for not investing in what God was doing. The purpose of this story is uncomfortable because the reason why this finds itself into the gospels is it's supposed to highlight the difference between her willingness to give and my willingness, my unwillingness to give. The fact that I like the idea of it, I just don't wanna have to do it. It's a call to commitment. It's a call to embrace the cost of fulfillment. And what Jesus is trying to communicate to his followers in this moment is that giving what you have now is better than intending to give what you hope to have later. And this is the game we play with ourselves, right? Oh man, there's a need and I get it. And I know that God wants me to be generous. I wanna be generous. But I'm, gonna, I'm about to come into something. And when I get, then I'll give. And God's like, what have you already been given? Oh, just these two lepta. What are you gonna do with that? Where are you gonna invest that? What would it look like for you to pour yourself into what God is doing? I wonder if being a part of expanding his kingdom with what you have change something on the inside of you. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, the apostle Paul says like this. He says, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. In other words, giving what you have now is better than intending to give what you hope to have later. So, so here's how I want us to move forward and practice this today. Here's some next steps. And, and um, the first two I want everybody to do, the third one is just to consider if this is a step you haven't taken yet. And the, the first thing is something I want every person in here to do today, and that is to give a one-time gift to, we call it B-O-W, it stands for Beyond Our Walls Corona. You can do this in the app, or you can do this uh, in person. You can write a check. You can, however you wanna do it, you can do it today. And whether you give just a few cents or whether you give several dollars or several thousand dollars is entirely up to what God is doing with you. But I want you to have a conversation with him about it. And here's where this money that's given today to Beyond Our Walls is gonna go to. We're partnering with an organization called Feed One that feeds children um, all around the world who are experiencing food scarcity because of natural disasters or poverty in their regions. We've worked with them for a long time. We just felt like as a pastoral team, this is something God wants us to do at this moment and we wanna invite you into it. The second thing I wanna invite you to do is when you came in on your chairs, there's this little card that says, because of South Hills. And, and I want you to fill this out. Here's what I want you to put on this. Why has this church made a positive impact in your life? Because here's the truth. There have been people that have consistently sacrificed their hard-earned money to give to this church week after week after week after week. And you know what fuels them? Hearing the stories of how their giving has been transformed and translated into other people's life change. And I want the opportunity to get to share some of these stories. You don't have to put your name on this. What is something God has done in your life because this place exists, because somebody else gave and invested 
in what's going on. When you fill that out today, you can slip that in the giving boxes at the back of the room. And next week, again, I'm just gonna read some highlights. I want you to hear how your giving is transforming people's real lives. And the third step uh, that not everyone has to take today, maybe some of you are already doing this, but if you have not made a commitment to consistently tithe, this is a percentage giving, to say, uh, every time I get, I'm gonna give back to God a percentage of what he has given to me. Um, if you haven't made that commitment in your life, I'm telling you that when we make commitments to things that really matter, our level of fulfillment skyrockets. And my concern is not that you're robbing God, it's that you are robbing yourself of what God wants for you when you commit to this. And I wanna encourage you to at least, to definitely do the first one, to try and do the second one, and if you haven't yet, to test drive the third one but this is what we're all gonna do. And just to, to recap, the word all means everybody. It's like all. It's not a trick. And I wanna just pray that God would inspire you, give you the courage to follow through today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the way in which you have blessed our lives. God, all of us in here, we have more than we need. Uh, there's stuff we still want. Uh, there are things that we have prayed for, that we've begged you for, that we think would make our lives nicer, easier, a little cushier. But ultimately, God, you have really blessed us, incredibly so. And in comparison to most of the world, God, we are just, we're wildly blessed. And God, I pray that you would help us to leverage the much we've been given to give much in return. God, that we would be people that make commitments to you, to our community, even when it's costly to give of our time, our energy, but God, to give of our money, to devote and dedicate, realizing that every good thing we have comes from you, that even our ability to make money comes from you, and that you have blessed us so that we can be a blessing. God, when we commit to giving, whether it's a one-time gift like we are today to Beyond Our Walls or tithing on a regular basis, God, may we experience the fulfillment of our commitment to follow through. God, may we not just dream about being generous people. May we live and act like generous people by giving what you've given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless. Thank you.